my subject title is uh, You Believe in God But Not His Church. And, and for this sermon, um, I actually want to rework the title a little bit to You Love God But Not His Church. So in, in particularly, you love God and you love the attributes of God. You, you love how he's gracious. You love how he's kind. You love how he's patient with us. But when it comes to his church, not, not so much. And I think it's worth mentioning that uh, if, if this title, this title alone, if we were to share that with any of the folks in the early church, uh, any of the apostles, they would probably look at us like, like, what are you guys talking about? Because to them, we are the church. Let, let me say that again. To, to those individuals who were in the early church and those early apostles who served and, and, and were uh, uh, under, the, uh, under the unction of allowing to be the foundation of the Christian faith, they would say to us, you guys are crazy. How, how is it that you don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't love the church, but yet you called yourself to love God? And, and, and here's the deal. It would be, here's the example I, I had. Uh, my son, he's, he's nine years old. His name's Shamar. Love him. It would be as if Shamar, in his future days, not, not anytime soon, but in his future days, if he's to grow up, get a wife of his own, his kids, his family, and for me to love my son, but not his family. That, that would be utterly and totally confusing. Weird. And I think it's also worth mentioning that in the New Testament, no synagogue, no temple, no tabernacle, no building, nothing in the Bible ever suggested that brick and mortar was the church. So let me give us a definition. And the term church is defined as a community of believers who confess the name of Jesus and they live in such a way that honors him. So you're going to hear terms tonight like the body of Christ. You're going to hear um, some marriage language, the bride of Christ. You're even going to hear like this family language of brothers and sisters and sons and daughters. You're going to hear the, these kind of terms throughout the sermon. Just know that it's all referencing the body of Christ, the church. So now that we're on the same page, we've got an understanding of the Bible when it comes to the direction of who the church is and what the church is. Why, why is it that we have to talk about this? Why is it that we have to even make mention of loving God but not his church? Well, there's a Christian organization based out of Nashville called Lifeway. And they've done some research on why young adults ages 18 to 30 are leaving the church. And here's what they found. 25% of young adults are leaving the church because they disagree with the church's stance on political and social issues. 29% of young adults are leaving because they don't feel connected to the church. They don't have any kind of uh, connectivity to the church. And, and 32% of young adults between the ages of 18 and 30 are leaving the church because they find its members to be hypocritical or judgmental. Now, that last stat, that, that one kind of resonated with me. I believe that's, that's one of the major critiques that Non-believers and believers, so Christians and non-Christians, they, they share in common of just how hypocritical the church can be at times. And I want to acknowledge that real quick. I want to acknowledge and recognize that there is brokenness from this world, and it has weaved its way into the church. 
And being hurt by the church is very real, and it happens more often than it should. But I want to offer some, some bit of comfort right now. Romans 8.28 tells us that God works all things for good for those who love him, called according to his purpose. So that means he doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste a moment. There's nothing that, that, that goes without his grasp that he won't use for his glory and your good. So before we continue into the sermon, let me, let me just pause, and I don't want to pray for us. I want to pray for our time, for God's wisdom in this sermon, and, and then for his direction and guidance. So let, let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your love and grace and compassion towards us. God, these, these kind of messages can, can seem to be very accusatory, and, and I don't want it to be that. We have an enemy who does that. But I do want to bring insight, God, in, as to what your word says about your bride. And I pray, God, that ears would be open, hearts would be open, God, and that you would allow for your word to move in and occupy those spaces where hurt and pain and suffering has, has held on to. So, Father, would you use this time? Would you glorify yourself through it? And that above all else, that your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, the course of this evening, I, w- I want to set the course of where we're going in this, in this sermon. Um, first, we're going to take a look at the early church. And then I have two questions that I've been wrestling with since uh, we even started, you know, dreamed up this idea of uh, this sermon series that I've been wrestling with when it comes to the Christian atheists. The first one is, how did we become a Titus 116 culture? So, so, so Corey mentioned that in the first week, and I want to I explore that a little bit more. Like, how did we get to, to be that culture? And then the second question that I want to address is, how do we avoid becoming a Christian atheist? Like, well, what are the steps that we can take to not be that? And then we're going to give our so what's at the end. Um, but if you would, just turn with me to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to kind of set the scene for uh, where we're going tonight. As you're turning, I want to paint a picture of what was, what's happening in the first part of, of, of Acts, chapter 1. Jesus has resurrected, and now he's, he's got his disciples uh, around, and, 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 and he's talking with them, and he's telling them that he's about to ascend to heaven. And when he does, there's going to be someone that comes behind him, or who's going to come after him, and that's the Holy Spirit. And he, the Holy Spirit is going to give them power to preach the gospel, to preach the truth of the good news to all of Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. And in chapter 2, as Jesus promised, when he ascends, these disciples go into this place called the upper room. And, and, and the Bible describes it as a, a rush of wind comes in. And all who were in that room get filled with the Holy Spirit. And they begin to speak in these languages that everyone on the outside of this room is, is understanding the different languages from the different lands. And, and, and then Peter, he, he comes out of this deal at the, in the middle of, of chapter 2. And he just starts proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And as he's doing that, it says thousands, thousands of people are coming to Christ. They're repenting. They're turning from their sins. And, and, and they're, they're crying out to God for salvation. He saves them. And then they get baptized. And then we see how the church is formed. And verse 42 says this. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to all who has had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. So what we see in these five verses is not your typical, not your typical fellowship. Uh, uh, the early church was consistent in this manner of breaking bread together, of, of, of um, praying together, and being devoted to one another. In the early church, they had this saying that I believe is so true, and James, he, he spells it out later on in, 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 in the New Testament. He says this, that don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And around here we have a saying of the church is supposed to be a hospital for the broken in the, in the sinners, n- not a museum for the saints. And, and so we see that this fellowship that is taking place is active. It's, it's an active mechanism that is on the move. And the type of fellowship, the Greek word for the type of fellowship that we see here is called koinonia. And it simply means to share in something. So these folks had the same guide for life, they shared in the same love for God and desire for worship to a holy God. They shared in the same sufferings of life as well as victories of life. And here's the, here's the deal. And they all lived in a way that honored Jesus. Now, don't, don't, don't get it twisted. <laughs> it wasn't like they wasn't devoid of their problems because in, in chapter 15, uh, there's, a, there's a dispute that breaks out. And, I, and I'm going to just, just kind of tell you the story. I don't want you to read it. Uh, in 15, the, the Jerusalem council comes together because they are having this dispute amongst each other on whether Jews and Gentiles, number one, coming together, and secondly, these Gentiles that are being saved, should they be circumcised? Should they practice in the ways of the, of the, of the Jewish culture? And so all the heavy hitters, Peter, Paul, Barnabas, all these, the big time, you know, uh, church leaders are in this deal. They're trying to figure this out with, with, uh, with these Jews, with these other Jews. And finally, uh, the, the brother of Jesus, James, he gets up and he makes this statement and, and, uh, and everybody just kind of falls in line. He says this, that therefore, this is uh, 15 and 19, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. So in other words, even in their disputes, even when they didn't see eye to eye with each other, they had this common ground. And the common ground was Jesus Christ. That was the one kind of thread that knitted them together even in those disputes. There's a quote by a man named Henry Nowen. And here's what he has to say about the church. He says, Community is the fruit of our capacity to make the interests of others more important than our own. Man, I find that to be so true, that the interests of our own, it, is, 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 it gets null and void because we want to we outserve one another. The intentionality of the early church 
to live in a distinctive way. And when I say distinctive, that, that, that just simply means in a unique way, a way that, that really hasn't been done before. That was the benchmark for how the church intended, was intended to function in its earlier stages. But the Apostle Paul, again, the church wasn't without its flaws. The Apostle Paul wrote many letters to the early church about uh, ethical behaviors, if you will. Read your Bibles. I'm telling you, you'll be shocked at how many letters and how many issues Paul had to address in the New Testament. But again, the common thread and the common denominator was their love for Christ. Philippians 2, 3, 4 has some more to say about this distinctive living. It says this, that do, not, uh, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than, our, than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So if we put ourselves, let's put ourselves in this story. Let's put ourselves in this early church phase. I think we can learn a few things from, from these folks. We can, we can learn how to be devoted to the teachings of, of God's word, how to be devoted to the one another's in our fellowship. And, and then especially when it comes to the ebbs and flows of life, I think we can learn a lot from these individuals. So now to my first question of how did we become a Titus 116 culture? And even more so, how did that get infiltrated into the church? Well, I mentioned earlier that there's this brokenness from the world that has weaved its way into the church. And Jesus tells us a story in the Gospel of Matthew. It's a parable, actually, of, of separating wheat and tares. So it's, it's, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that this brokenness has, has weaved its way into the, into the church because Jesus is warning us about it. The story of the, 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 the wheat separating the wheat from the tear is, is a farmer, and he's, he has his field. He has this huge field, and he's, he's going out planting his seeds that, that he's hoping to grow wheat. And, and, and at night, his enemy comes in and plants these seeds that, that are tares. Now, here's what we know about wheat. Wheat is a type of grain that when it's processed, it's processed to flour or bran, and then, and then it makes foods like, you know, cereals, breads, pastas. But here's, here's what we know about tares. Tares are a type of rye grass. Tares are, <laughs> the, the scholars believe that what, what Jesus is referencing to in, in, this particular, uh, in this particular parable, that these particular tares were actually poisonous. So here's the deal. They resemble wheat at its early stages, but when it's, when it's fully grown, it's actually poisonous to the field. Now, I think it's helpful to be put this story in the context that Jesus is referring to the, the world as the field and that there are seeds in the world, good seeds, and there are bad seeds. But, but I think it is extremely helpful for us tonight to understand and realize that this also applies to the church. There, there's some good seeds in the church and there's bad seeds. There's those who, who, uh, who represent the wheat. They are incredible individuals. They're compassionate. 
They follow after the ways of the Lord. They're kind, and they, they help provide a, a, a sense of nutrition to the body of Christ. But then there's also those who represent the tares. They have the look of wheat, especially in its earlier beginning stages. But over time, you can see that they're not following in the ways of righteousness, and their actions resemble that of rotten apple, of a rotten apple that spoils a bunch. So if, if you take a rotten, that's not just a saying, that's, it's legit. If you take a rotten apple and put it into a basket of ripe apples, over time, that entire basket will rotten out. It's a legit thing. From the scandals involving church leadership, whether it's in sexual misconducts to abuse of power and money, to the overall just mistreatment of people in general. The person who claims to know God but functionally live as he doesn't exist, that they get flushed out in those hard moments. And it becomes easier for a person who has experienced that and has, has witnessed that for them to just sit home, watch YouTube videos, or listen to a podcast. Be much easier to do that than to invite the one another's in to get close and then to have something like that happen again. So, so what's the solution? How do we avoid becoming a Christian atheist, someone who loves God but not the church? Well, I want to start with a big kind of picture frame, and then I want to work our way to a smaller frame. I made the statement earlier that if we're to love God, then we, we're to love the things that he loves. If we love God, we should love the things that he loves. And 17, can I tell you tonight that he, he loves you? He loves his body, his, his, his prized possession. He loves you. And he loves all the many parts that makes up the body called the church. I want to I color that in a little bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is the Apostle Paul. Man. He, he's again addressing this early church, and, and here's what he has to say in verses 18 through 20, 21. Uh, he says this, But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, many parts, and yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Nor can, again, the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. And then I want to skip down to verse 26, which says this. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, then we all rejoice. Each member of the body of Christ is needed in order to function as the whole. The heart doesn't just pump blood for itself. The lungs don't, doesn't just fill itself with oxygen for itself. The, these parts work together in harmony and unison so that they, the whole body can function. And when one part of the body suffers, the whole part suffers. Now, that's the bigger picture of, of why we should stay committed to the church. But now let's get a little, let's get more personable. 
And in Hebrews chapter one, oh, excuse me, chapter two, the author here, he gives a very particular reason why we should stay committed to the church. And Hebrews, Hebrews chapter two, verse one says this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. By the way, that is a warning. Hebrews is full of these teachings and warnings. And, and right there, that, the author is giving a warning to us. And the imagery that I get when, when I read that is that of a boat next to a dock. If that boat is not tied to, 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 the, uh, to the dock or if there's not an anchor that is, that is securing the boat, eventually that boat is going to drift off, whether it be into a lake, ocean, whatever. It, it's going to drift away. Pay attention. Pay attention to what God has done in his son Jesus and the things that we've heard and received through Jesus Christ. We must stay anchored to the only thing that can withstand the test of time, both now and forever. So I have three solutions for us. And these three solutions, I, I, I think, I, I'm pr- I pray that they help us in how to avoid becoming this Christian atheist. And those, those, uh, those solutions, we're going to stick right here. We're going to stay in Hebrews, um, and we're just going to go down to uh, chapter 10. We're going to move to chapter 10, 23 through 25. Chapter 10, 23 through 25. says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. So the first thing of how we, this first solution of how we can avoid becoming this Christian atheist when it comes to loving God but not his church is hold fast to the confession. But those of us in here who love Jesus, hold fast to that confession. In verse 23, I think it's important for us to be reminded why we believe what we believe and why we do the things we do. And the reason is because we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We believe that he was born of a virgin and that he died, he rose. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, awaiting his perfect timing to return for his bride. That's what we believe. And we believe that he will return for us, as Revelations 21, 3, 5 tells us. I'll just read it from over here. Revelations 21, 3, and 5 says this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Heard a loud voice from heaven. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There should be no more death. There should be no more mourning. No crying, no pain, or any more, for the former things have passed away. I, think, I, I, was, I was hoping to get through this. But over this past week, I've been to three funerals. 
and the, the devastation that is in this world, the brokenness, the absolutely shattering of the chaos that is in our world and in our midst. And it seems like it just continues and it gets bigger and it gets more, that voice gets louder. It, it, it almost starts to drown out or tries to drown out the gospel, tries to drown out the truth that Jesus does love us, that Jesus is returning for us. Sometimes it does seem like Satan is winning. If I can be completely honest, at times it does seem like we, we are in this moment, we're living this life where <clears throat> if we don't say, come Lord Jesus, come, we're just going to suffer through it. But again, I'm reminded of why I believe what I believe. And I stated this earlier of Romans 8, 28, that he causes all things to work together for good. That's who he is, and that's what he does. And the one that promised, just like he made the promise in Acts chapter 2, that he was going to ascend, and, and, and he was going to send the Holy Spirit to come, and the Holy Spirit is our comforter. Just as he made that promise, and that promise came to pass, where you can bet your bottom dollar that this promise is going to come to pass, that there's going to be a day where there's no more pain, there's no more suffering. We can hold fast to that truth because the one who made that promise the Bible says that the world, all of creation holds together with one breath we can hold fast to that promise the second solution is that we, we're to stir one another up in love and to good works the Greek word for love here is agape that's a big old word with a lot of meaning but the main meaning is unconditional love. And most scholars and folks that are way small, smarter than me, they, they, they seem to suggest that this is the highest form of love that one can have. And this form of love, this agape love, this unconditional love is used over 106 times in the New Testament. Heaven is reflected on earth when we, as brothers and sisters, stir one another up to good works. And that leads me to my final solution of we cannot neglect to meet together. This is why it's important for us to meet together. The church can be messy, I, I, I'll admit it. And it shouldn't be surprising to us. And the reason is because we're all sinners. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And the brokenness, that same brokenness that comes and infiltrates into the church, Christ came to die for that. He came to die for it. He's relentless when it comes to turning a mess into a message. He's the king of it. And he uses that message to empower us for hope and encouragement. There's a, uh, there's a Christian rapper um, who, who, she's a poet, she's an author, mother, wife. Well, look at you. <laughs> Jackie Hill. Jackie Hill Perry. Who? Anyway, ja Jackie Hill. <laughs> ja Jackie Hill Perry, um, by her own confession, um, was a part of the, the gay community. 
lived as a lesbian for a number of years. And, and to her own confession that God delivered her from it. And she tweeted this, I don't know how long ago, and I tried this. I spent like three hours looking for the darn thing yesterday, and I finally found it. And this is what she said. Do you know who God used to heal me from church hurt? The church. All the years that she was trying to figure out her identity and trying to figure out where, where she fit. And being in the South, <laughs> where she's from, that's a tough place to try to figure that stuff out. Especially in church circles. But it was the church. It was the body of Christ that helped her find healing. The ripple effect of meeting together can have lasting impressions. But, the, but if we neglect it, it could be totally devastating. So what does this mean for us tonight? What, what, are some of the, what are the takeaways? Well, it means that Christ, it, he's inviting us. Connor, Connor mentioned this, and I, and I want to mention it again, that, that, that the gospel invites us to join in the mission of God. Okay, for us to be his faithful witnesses as we display kingdom, the kingdom of heaven on earth. And I want to I use this analogy that you guys have probably seen and heard time and time again, but what's one more time? Um, the pink spoon. Harley, you got it? So Baskin Robbins. Anybody love Baskin Robbins? Baskin Robbins is not one of my favorite places, but they serve ice cream, so I just put it on the list. <laughs> Baskin Robbins. Home of, what, 31 or 32? I, sometimes I make up my own. It's like 42 to me because I put flavors in. in anyway, um, when you go to Baskin Robbins and they got the, the little flavor out, strawberry, chocolate, shake, twist, whatever. Never had it before. Ooh, can I have some? Can I, can I sample it just to see if I would like it? You put it in your mouth. Ooh, it's good. I'll have that. We are a, that, 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 that sample is what's to come. So you haven't had dessert yet. You just had a sample of what's to come. As the, as the body of Christ, as the, the bride of Christ, as God's people, we are to be the sample of the kingdom to come. And I would be reminisced if I didn't share some of the highlights and the, and the most beautiful things about the church. Because the church is extremely beautiful. She's the, she's the bride of Christ. All these, the natural disasters, the, the hurricanes, I, I'm thinking of like Katrina and Duran and um, all of these, the, the tornadoes and floods in Houston. Some of the first organizations, if not the first organization and in, in, in institutions that are on the scene, first responders, is the church. The church is, is a part of the body of Christ that allows the, the outside world to find hope and rest. And the church also helps provide assistance and help neighborhoods, cities, and even countries to be revitalized and to actually be functioning in a way that would honor God. 
And if I'm thinking locally, so on Sunday, you should have got one of these bulletins. So if I'm thinking like just right like here, our church, last year for Willis Junior High, which is literally like a mile away, the church provided for this community 856 food bags, 300 uh, students snack boxes, 249 backpacks, 60 boxes of classroom supplies for the teachers. If you are a teacher, you know how much that really does make a difference. Clothing, socks, jackets, hygienes, and other items, 38 pairs of shoes were purchased for that community that is right up the road from us. 710, we've started adopting families that, that are connected to the SALT ministry. And we've been doing some kind of interactions with some of these folks and folks who have, um, who have limited ability. And, 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 and some of y'all know because you're a part of it. You go to these houses and you help, you know, just shape up, you clean, you, 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 you help revitalize what, what Christ is asking us to do. The church is beautiful. She's beautiful and she's precious and she's God's baby. To love God and not his church is unthinkable. Now, for the unbeliever in the room, those who may, may be struggling with faith, um, I know this, this, this may not matter, and, and maybe it, it, it does. I don't, I don't know. But I do want to ask this question. What brings you here? Like, like just, just consider that thought. I mean, we, we have some amazing worship. Um, I think we have some of the best worship in all the, the West, on the West Coast, period. The teaching, um, when I'm not doing it, is great. It's, it's fantastic. But what brings you here? Maybe it's Eddie who's giving a warm handshaking hug at, at the front door. I don't know. But consider this. What would, what would bring groups of people together from different races, backgrounds, creeds? What would, what would bring them together and be unified under one name for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries? Here's what I want to challenge you with. Consider what the Bible says about who Jesus is. That he's the, he's the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. Or how about this? That he's the bread of life. And through him, streams of living water flow. Which simply means, if you're looking for satisfaction in this life, the only satisfaction that's going that's to last for an all of eternity is only through Jesus Christ. Consider that. And for the rest of us in the room, if we love God, then we should love the things that he loves. Loving his church is not even an option. It's something that we just do. So what I, what I did, I took the liberty of creating an acronym to help us kind of see through the lens that the way Christ sees us, and he sees us with grace. But, but, but the acronym that I have for grace is a gift redeemed at, the, at Christ's expense. Again, she, she's, the, she's a gift that is redeemed at Christ's expense. It cost him everything. The most winsome thing about the church is how we are an extension of God's kingdom. 
the way we love God, the way we love one another, is evident to all that God is near. Let me pray for us and we enter into a time of worship. Father, thank you for your, your church. Thank you for the beauty of being a part of something so precious in your eyesight. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. And Father, for those who have been hurt by the church, I, I pray, God, that they would find healing through you and through the one another's. And God, I pray that for those who don't know you, God, that they would come to saving faith, that you would open their eyes to see not only the beauty of the scriptures and the beauty of who you say you are, but see the beauty of your church. And for the rest of us, God, would you continue to help us navigate, God, the beauty of being a part of your body and loving you and loving the things that you love. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Only in this.